Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, hey, thank you for joining us today, Solar Warrior. You're about to dive into a two for Tuesday episode. Maybe you noticed we dropped the weekly roundup and this gem from my friend Andy Foote. Tuesday episodes are traditionally shorter form content. That's Tactical Tuesdays, content from our mini live events or maybe our SPI weekly roundup. It's just a bite-sized way that you can learn and grow with us here on Suncast. There usually are two shorter episodes like this published, so you've clearly found one of those. And I found today's guest by doing what I do on a regular basis, scrolling through LinkedIn, as I bet many of you do, And one of the folks that I routinely follow on LinkedIn had posted that she'd been interviewed by a LinkedIn guru, the guy's name, Andy Foote, his podcast, Footnotes. We'll talk about that and so much more in how Andy is a professional LinkedIn consultant. I probe his mind so you don't have to. I ask the questions you want to. Hope you'll stick around. And if you're looking to connect with today's guest, remember you can find all the resources and learn more about this and so many other episodes over at the Suncast blog at mysuncast.com. Now get ready to tune up your LinkedIn skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, today again, it's time to get practical and tactical. And as we've been discussing, there are ways that you can elevate the general appearance of not only your brand, but the number of eyeballs on your brand. One of my favorites is LinkedIn. If you follow me in any capacity, you know that I'm constantly asking you to engage in LinkedIn, to share your thoughts, give us your takeaways. Today, I'm going to introduce you to one of my secret weapons, one of the guys that I discovered on the web who, through his LinkedIn Insights blog, has taught me so much about how this platform works. Andy Foote coaches individuals and organizations on how to fully capitalize on everything that LinkedIn has to offer. And he spent the last decade obsessing on multiple ways that you can engage and strategize around building a supportive network on LinkedIn. Today, we're going to dig deep into some of those strategies with him. But first, let me welcome Andy Foote to Suncast. Hello, Nico. How are you, my friend? I am fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, You guys may notice that Andy is bringing his A game. Uh, I'm doing no filtering to uh, to that sultry voice on the other end of the line, and uh, I'll I'll recommend here from the outset a resource that, apart from his LinkedIn Insights blog, is becoming a fast favorite of mine as well. Your now soon to be worldwide famous Footnotes podcast. How's that going for you, Andy? I think swimmingly. Um, it's it's always hard to sell, uh, you know, in the early days, and there is not a lot of data out there that lets me sort of benchmark my success. I did find an article uh, that said, well, you know, if you do X amount of downloads every every, I think it was sixty days, then you're in this category, and then they would give you a percentage, but nothing for the newbie podcaster. So I, I can't benchmark. I can't really tell. From the feedback that I'm getting so far, Nico, uh, I seem to be doing okay. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And the advantage that you have that's enviable is a decade of tried and true experience and raving fans on the platform of LinkedIn. So I would imagine that when you reach out, you must have built up about a 500 interview backlog by now. Yeah. So that's, that's I think, one of the drivers in putting together a interview show. I never could see myself as someone who would just essentially talk to himself uh, for 40 minutes. It's just, that just doesn't seem, seem something that, you know, that I could do uh, or would like to do. So the fact that I've got uh, this phenomenally large and phenomenally supportive 
uh, network on LinkedIn built up over the years makes it uh, very easy for me to put together, you know, my dream guest list. Because you start with your, you know, your buds, the impressives, right? And what I want to get are the people who are not already not already well known. I want to get the folks that are just super smart. They've got their own followings, but you know they're not they're not they're not like influencer status. That's there's there's little point in me getting those folks on. They don't need me. And frankly, you know, I, I kind of know their shtick. I know what they're doing. I'm I'm interested in the the folks that are below those in terms of the social pecking order on LinkedIn. I don't know if you do, but I I certainly have. A, I was sharing this with someone the other day. I have a list of about forty people, um, and your your name is on it of profiles on LinkedIn that I regularly check just to see what people I consider to be influencers on LinkedIn are thinking about how they're thinking about using the platform. Which brings me to the strain of conversation that I'd love to kick off here as we dig deeper. You've authored some of what I think are some very provocative and, and curious posts about how to use LinkedIn. You've got a decade of experience doing it. I love how often you use the word stunning in some form, form or other, <laughs> but you have uh, posts like three stunningly good LinkedIn profile summaries, uh, which has been shared more than, more than 2000 times. Uh, the number one most viewed writer on Quora for LinkedIn profiles and groups uh, is your claim, one of your claims to fame. You've got over 3 million people on your blog since 2012, and it's all focused around exactly what the blog would suggest, LinkedIn Insights. It's LinkedIn Insights. And I'm curious how you came to a place where you said, I'm going to choose this platform. And in 2010, no less, when it wasn't clear that LinkedIn was a, was a clear winner, how did you become that LinkedIn expert? What was that process? I think it came into existence in 03 or 04. So I certainly wasn't there at the beginning. And around about, I think, 08, I was at home with my little one. I was a stay-at-home dad. And I was looking after this uh, incredible bundle of joy. And I was housebound, more or less. And I was on my laptop. And I I found LinkedIn. I thought, Oh, this this looks interesting. And then what got me really interested in the beginning was this ability to build groups. I could build online communities around any subject that I wanted. And I started building groups. That's where my LinkedIn education began. And I got quite competitive with, with them as well. For example, if some of my groups that I created weren't growing fast enough, I would essentially give them to one of the members. So I would say, here you go. Uh, if, if you're interested in taking this forward, I'm going to exit. It's your group. Do do what you want with it. I'm going to you know, keep on building others. The ones that were building fast enough, by my estimation, I kept with, and I still run those groups now. So I've got, um, I think, over, uh, over eight groups and over f- like 40,000 members in Agra already. So they're still growing. And, you know, groups have a, have a checkered history on LinkedIn. We could go into that if you wish. But so that's where I started. And then I started writing about, you know, my own discoveries on LinkedIn, what, what I had learned. And my early stuff, I'm really glad to say, is kind of buried. It's buried in the interwebs. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm glad because it was crap. It was seriously bad. It was guff, uh, total, total, like, you know, wordy, like missing the mark, I felt. And, but eventually, like most things, as you know, the more you do it, you can't help but improve. So you get better. One of my posts, and you mentioned the stunningly, uh, I chose, you know, three stunningly good LinkedIn summary examples. That was the title. And then what I did differently back then, I think no, no one else was doing it that I could see, was actually, actually use real life examples. So I would screenshot and I would I, I highlighted three and then I said why I thought they were stunningly good. So I laid out. And this is a format now that is very common. LinkedIn uh, does it on their, their own blog. Other people do it as well because I think they realize that the, the quickest way to uh, touch a reader and to actually make whatever you're saying relevant is to give real-life examples. And usually you have to be careful because if it's something negative, then of course that could be a lawsuit. And then there's the legality of taking anything as a screenshot from LinkedIn right? Sorry, it's public, but does it belong to you? Probably not. You know, if, one, if someone wanted to create a stink about that, then you could be in, in hot water. So there was that risk. And then that particular article 
eventually it landed on the, the first page for a particular search, uh, LinkedIn summaries or LinkedIn summary examples. And because it landed on the first page, that's when my little blog just spiked and then continued to uh, have this high high number of um traffic, high, high volume of traffic. And that then encouraged me to basically recapture lightning with every subsequent post. So that was my goal, right? Every time I wrote, I wanted to create the absolute best I could. And I wanted to figure out, okay, why did that do so well? What can I reiterate? What can I uh, do again? And so I constantly thought about the title of the blog, which is Insights. And so it's all about not merely reporting the changes on LinkedIn, but explaining why, right? Why has this changed? What's going on here? Because I think that's the sweet spot. I think that's that's the true learning. That's where that the true learning happens is when people, they see the change, but they understand, they comprehend the, the, the stuff that's going on behind. I think that makes them you know, more informed. I think that uh, helps them to better understand the platform and ultimately to come up with a better strategy for you know, making the, the platform work for them. So yeah, that's that's what, what I'm all about. Essentially, I do uh, LinkedIn branding. So it's usually one-to-one. I focus on their brand. And I also do LinkedIn strategy, which is all about, you know, what is it they're trying to achieve specifically on LinkedIn? How do we, how do we make that happen? Generally speaking, the, the worst thing that I think that could happen to anyone on LinkedIn, regardless of what it is they're trying to achieve, is that they're rendered invisible. If you're trying to get a new gig in particular, if you're passed over or you just you just don't appear on the radar of uh, certain decision makers uh, or recruiters in general, then you're kind of screwed because you need to you need to be on that radar. You need to be on the list. You need to find a way to get on the list. So visibility is, is key there. Other scenarios, you know, trying to launch a business. If no one's interested in what you're selling, the widgets or the service, then again, you're kind of screwed. You need to have some kind of traction. If you're trying to promote yourself or build your, your your visibility up as a as an influencer, or you just want to nudge your profile up, you know if the stuff you're writing is not getting traction, is not getting engagement, that's a big problem too. So I think ultimately you could boil it down to visibility. Period. That that's you know that's a generally a, a good thing. And of course the opposite is well, it's tough to do anything. You know I completely agree with you, and it is one of the refrains that many listeners have heard from, from me that I think people are just using LinkedIn wrong and improperly. In fact, it's one of the main underlying theses of why you do what you do. What are the areas of LinkedIn in particular that you've begun to focus on and, and see productivity within your client base? And what sort of insights have you been able to glean? Uh, in particular, uh, anything that might be more recent insights that'd be relevant to the audience? I haven't played with, for example, stories because we haven't, you know, the US market hasn't, haven't got stories. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one of the shiny new tools. I have had access, perhaps even early access, by early I mean, you know, weeks before other folks maybe, uh, have had access to polls. So polls are interesting because LinkedIn used to have them about six years ago. And they actually gave more data. They actually gave a breakdown of gender, uh, I think location, seniority, which was, you know, juicy data for anyone who's, you know, a pollster. But um, even without that breakdown, it's still a very good engagement tool for not just gathering intel, but also understanding where your content flows because it's kind of a poll is kind of like a hybrid of a post and a poll. So, you know, you have the poll attached to the post and the post, you can write whatever you want. It can be directly relevant to the poll or not. But then, of course, you get the uh, you get the the good stuff happening around the poll. So you get the comments. And of course, within the comments, that's your opportunity to engage with the folks that uh, presumably have voted I mean, that's the cool thing about polls. They don't necessarily have a need to have voted either. If they would just want to join the conversation, they can do that too. So they're easy to engage on, number one, because it's just clicking yes, no, or whichever the four options you've, you've set up. And then it's, you know, it's kind of a, it's a gateway drug to comments because you've got, you've got people voting already and say, well, I don't agree with that. I mean, why would, why would you say? And very, people are very opinionated. And then, of course, the, the key is to... Uh, 
to find something that's a that's a hot spot that's um you know a topic that that everyone has a strong or a opinion about exactly hot button and that's the key so if you can do that then you're kind of you know off to a very good start and then the, in terms of the structure of the poll if you leave something trailing or if you leave something ambiguous or it could be as simple as having a third option that says other then that's going to invite comments because people will say well other uh, i need to i need to fill that gap i need to fill in what what i what my perception of the other point is that you have this you have missed andy <laughs> so again it's it's like they have this need to contribute and participate and of course they're not shy because they can see other comments and it's like, oh, Nico commented. I know Nico. I'm going to comment because I'm going to say hi to Nico, but I'm also going to give Andy a piece of my mind. So there's all of this cool stuff that's going on. And then, you know, it just, it builds like a post. You get to see how many views you see, you get all of that data too. So, you know, what's the breakdown of the viewership? And so it becomes this amazing not a collaborative tool because you, you can then turn it into something else. So I haven't done this, but I've, I don't know, I've probably posited something like a hundred plus polls now over the last six months. And so I have all these polls now, but they can be turned into articles either on my blog or within LinkedIn, because you have all of this data now where people have got very strong views one way or the other. And so you present that and then that's you know the issue with posts in that they have a short life cycle. They're generally like the newspaper on LinkedIn. They're forgotten over like a forty-eight hour period. They're like the ticker on CNN. In some yes, cases. exactly. You know, I'm fascinated by the fact that you brought in polls because it wasn't something I anticipated. But what in particular is something that maybe you've learned through your exploration of and fine-tuning your craft at LinkedIn that you really lean on daily? I try to. To mix it up, I try to. Uh, I, I tell myself or or urge myself to do new stuff constantly, just to experiment with a new way of expressing myself. So, for example, I haven't been doing uh, infographics at all, and uh, this I think the last three months or so, last two months, I've put out three. And I put my latest out today, so not you know not not a, a high work rate, nonetheless. Yeah, but I want to do it well, and I'm trying to I'm trying to basically put myself in the place of the audience. Right, what would I like to see and learn about LinkedIn in basically a punchy, nice graphical way? The one I did today, uh, just this morning, as a matter of fact, was about uh, those crappy connection requests that yeah. we all get. And I'm trying to think, well, how can we spot them? So I came up with the title, you know, spot the bot, right? So it's <laughs> so good. And I basically broke it into three areas. And the three areas are uh, what I call general speak. So in other words, all of the software, as you know, the auto automatic software forces the user to put in some kind of, uh, some kind of text that can never be specific, Right, because that's just impossible. You can't, you can't do. Hey, Nico, uh, listen to your podcast yesterday. We'd love to connect, but it's it's just not. It's not going to be able to do that. So there'll invariably be something like the classic is, oh, you came up as a, a LinkedIn connection that I ought to know, right? Which you can't prove, and it's pretty sneaky and pretty clever because you're thinking, well, that's an ego thing for us, right? It's like, oh, I did. It does, is, LinkedIn, is LinkedIn showing my profile to people and then saying, connect with Nico, connect with that? That sounds pretty good. Tell me more. Right. So you've already, you've got their attention and it can't be proven. And then it's, um, you know, very simply, yeah, you're someone uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with. And then that's a, a classic. The other one is we have lots of people in common. Really? Well, who are they then? Right. Name them. They're never going to name them because they've sent that to thousands of people literally in the last, you know, uh, in the last month. Uh, so there are the, the general speak is a classic way to spot them, and they're they're a chore and they're bothersome and they they stop us from doing other you know other useful stuff. Another uh, hallmark of the of the bots the bot uh, spotting the bot in the connection request is, I think, an overly salesy headline. Not always, but. Most of the time, you know, if someone's trying to uh, sell me something as a coach and specifically say, says something like, you know, I can, I can 10x your, uh, your coach income, 
even if you're not a bot, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. Thanks very much. So f off, right? And then the other thing what you're doing now, which you couldn't do before, is um, they're they're offering a freebie in the connection request itself, right? So hey, here's a link to my ebook. I didn't ask for it. I don't want it, right? And if it's free, then perhaps it doesn't have value. But you know, we can talk about that later, or not. And then, or or a link to my latest uh, podcast episode. Well, no, I, I mean, there's millions of podcasts for me to figure out, you know, and choose on my. So there's this like trying to give value, but it's not really value. It's kind of spammy. So those three things I put in this infographic, and you know, to answer your question is, I'm mixing it up. I'm trying new ways of presenting, you know, my knowledge and what I know in a, a way that's hopefully, you know, attractive, interesting, and you know, it's it's a new new ways of sharing knowledge. Unfortunately. You know, LinkedIn is fertile ground. It, it makes many things that we try and do there uh, fairly easy. For example, if you think about articles, writing an article used to be, well, you have to set up a website. You have to figure out the domain name, right? You have to figure out how to use the, the, the darn tool. And it's all there, ready for you to go. So there are no excuses. And that's what I tell my clients is that there are no excuses for you to start publishing today. And it'll look pretty good, right? In terms of adding images and, and doing all that good stuff. So. A lot of folks come to me and they say, Nico, that's all well and good, but I don't have a team helping me and uh, this is all hard to do. Uh, How do you come up with the content? And I want to distill it down to not the content specifically, but the tools, because I feel like folks don't realize that there are tools to help. For example, how do you create the infographic that you just mentioned? Yeah. So I am a huge fan of Canva. C-A-N-V-A. And what Canva have done is, I think, quite remarkable. They have democratized the ability to put graphics uh, together very quickly in a very intuitive way. So someone without any kind of training, any kind of you know, CAD or, or any kind of that, right, can just immediately start playing around with templates. Uh, they can borrow stuff that's already there, make it their own. And that's that's what I've been using uh, actually for all three that I've done. And it's just it's just a very cool tool and it's online. It's, it's neat stuff. You know, it's the small stuff. Like you don't have to actually save anything. It'll automatically save it for you, Right. And it's that kind of stuff that it's thinking about the user first and, you know, what, what do they need? What, what Someone who, who, you know, is clueless about, about most things. How do we make this very simple? Oh, so you want to make that background match? You want to get rid of that? Or, you know, you want to enlarge in this? You want to move this around? It's, it's right there, you know, it's mainly mouse clicking and some typing. So I love, love that tool for the visual stuff. It's basically, you know, it's Photoshop for dummies, basically, and it's, it's online. Is there one piece of advice you typically give to someone just starting to think about their LinkedIn strategy that's a good starting point? So I would say that one of the cool things about LinkedIn is that a lot of it is public, right? We see basically everything that people do in the LinkedIn comments. So we can see, for example, if we connect with them, we can see who else they're connected with if they're not if they're not shielding their network. If they're writing, we can see everything that they're putting out there either as an article or a post, even if they're curating stuff, right? If they're they're not actually, uh, they're not an author themselves, but they are uh, periodically sharing other authors' stuff. And we can see all of this information. So uh, my advice is that you learn by observing, right? That you, It's, it's kind of like joining a LinkedIn group. The last thing you do when you join a LinkedIn group is start shouting, hey, I'm this and I am the big I am and I, I want you to do this. No, no, no. You observe, you listen and you watch intently for several weeks and then you figure out the dynamics. Who are the players? Who are the people that you maybe want to connect with, you want to engage with, what are they saying? What are they interested in? So you, you observe acutely and you do the same thing as a newbie to LinkedIn. You, you, uh, you know, you vacuum up all the information that you can, and then you figure out, okay, what kind of a LinkedIn user am I going to be? Yeah. Am I going to be a writer? What am I going to write about? Am I going to be a curator? What am I going to share with others and why? What's, what's my raison d'etre here? What's my, what's my point? Uh, what am I trying to achieve? You know, use that public information to your benefit and figure out, all right, so I see that Nico is using LinkedIn in this way. And I'm quite like Nico. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, in a similar stage of my career. Uh, I've got similar interests. So I'm going yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do more or less the same thing. Oh, his post on this subject got an enormous amount of engagement. 
Um, and I think I understand why. So I'm going to try and I'm not going to copy it. I'm not going to rip off his post, but I'm going to do something you know along similar lines and see how far I get. I will say that the one the one issue right the one challenge uh, for people starting off with LinkedIn is that it will take time to build up that um, that fan base. So it's not about you know the thousands of people that I have in my network that I've built up over the years. That's not important. What's important are the fans, the hardcore fans that turn up every time I put something out there, right? Because without those fans, right, without that fan um, behavior, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get any, any reach with my, with my posts. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to the handful of people that basically are there uh, whenever I publish something, and they 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 basically act as uh, their comments and their reactions and their shares act as jet fuel to the LinkedIn algorithm. If if it wasn't for those, uh, then I wouldn't get the reach. I wouldn't have the voice on this platform. So that takes time. Uh, you know, I'm fond of saying that I'm an overnight success that took ten years, because uh, that's what it looks like. It's like, whoa, he's got thousands. That's incredible. He must, that must've just happened in a couple of weeks. Well done, Andy. No, it's, it's couldn't be further from the truth. I think I read somewhere, maybe even I heard you say the average person turns up on LinkedIn once every three weeks. Mm. And what, what should the cadence be for someone who's really trying to yeah. create a strategy? How much time do you spend in comparison? <laughs> I'm the outlier, aren't I? Cause no one who has a day job, put it this way, uh, spends uh, every day on LinkedIn, including the weekends, by the way, right? So that infographic went out this morning and it's Saturday. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I'm obviously very unusual, but I'm not unusual in comparison with my peers who do exactly that. They spend a ton of time on the platform. Same here. Because- <laughs> Right, they you know it's an investment to them, and it and it pays off because they wouldn't be doing it if it didn't. Yeah, pay that's off. right. But so, so everyone has different um, objectives and different cadence, different um, uh, reasons and times to be on the platform. So uh, job seekers in particular are known to uh, dive in and then drop out. So they dive in when they're in transition and they're aggressively looking, and then they land. Hopefully, they, they land quickly. And then you never hear from them until the next, you know, their next time of need. And the issue, of course, with that is that, you know, when I worked with with uh, pe- people in transition, I would say, look, you can't just parachute into LinkedIn and expect to be helped. You can't say, hey, I'm here now, help me, help me. It's just not going to work because you're a stranger to them, right? They they they've not, you know, they've either not not heard from you for years, or they don't know you at all. So you and. It, of course, you need to build up that report, and it takes time to do that in a in an authentic and meaningful way. You know, the other expression expression is, you dig your well uh, before you're thirsty. So, what you it, you know, even when you're employed, you're at the day job, you're checking into LinkedIn, and you're you're making sure that your network is aware of you, that you're that you're 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 basically contributing. You're making some kind of deposit in the social currency sense, and you're not withdrawing. So the more deposits you can make while you're working and you're adding to other people, you're, you're helping them in some way. As soon as someone helps uh, asks you for help, you help them as much as you can. You build up social capital with them, uh, so much so that when in your time of, un- uh, of your need, you can go back to them and say, hey, listen, uh, now is the time. I really need this intro to uh, Stephen at X company. Um, they are hiring uh, or they're not. But you know, I need to I need to make things happen. So that's you know that's how it should work. And people who who get it, people who know that hey, you helped me uh, because I helped you back back in the day, they get it. It's all about reciprocity, right? And that's how things happen on LinkedIn. That you build up the people that you know you've you've helped in the past. You build up those folks, those relationships, and when you need them, they are there for you. That's how it should work. What small change can make a big difference on your LinkedIn profile specifically? I know you spend a lot of time with with your clients on that. The small change is probably the biggest in terms of what it can do for your brand. And, and I'm talking about the headshot. I think the, the most amount of uh, issues that I see over my over the years of observing LinkedIn is that people really don't understand, you know, how to best use that circle. And it's an important one in terms of engagement and because as humans, you know, we're looking to uh, we're looking to to engage with other humans, and the the quickest way to do that is via the image that we put, um, you know, to 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 uh, represent ourselves as another human. And 
the headshot, there's usually, not always, but there's usually something that you can improve. Um, and I'll give you an example. Mine for the longest time was uh, this shot of me in the sunshine, squinting. You know, my eyes were squinching, which is a thing. Look it up. Mm-hmm. Squinching makes you look more intelligent. Uh, it's a it's a very strange phenomenon. But if you squinch, so slightly close your eyes instead of having your eyes wide open, you are seen to be, you are perceived as more intelligent. It's a photographer's cr- uh, trick. So look up squinch, S-Q-I-N-C-H, right? So I was doing that unintentionally because the sun was in, in my eyes. I was actually next to Big Ben in London. I used this shot for the longest time and I was in love with the shot. Uh, because I I look you know young and 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 healthy and handsome, but then when I started to meet clients and they were double taking and they were going oh you you've changed then I knew I had to change that headshot because it's not it's not me it's not me now so I needed to change that because that's the that's the litmus test whenever you walk into a room and the person that you're meeting has never met you and they can't recognise you because your photo is not representative on LinkedIn then you've got an issue. So it has to be authentic. It has to be, uh, you know, current, number one. Number two, so often I see, you know, shitty photographs. They're just, you know, bad lighting. Uh, they've got weird backgrounds. You know, they're not crystal clear. They're not high res. And I think nowadays most people don't have an excuse because everyone's got a computer in their pocket, potentially with a portrait mode. And you can just keep taking these photos, which cost you nothing, right? They cost you battery. Um until you find one that's ideal and you say to your wife or your loved one or someone you trust, hey, is this better than this one that I took seconds ago? The thing that you remember is not necessarily the comment, but that image, that image just keeps yes. showing up. It's a sun. It's such a subtle contextual yes. reminder that this person is here. You've got three elements that follow you around on LinkedIn before anyone ever thinks of clicking on your profile. And that's, that's what, they, what you ultimately want them to do. But the three elements are your headshot, your name, and your headline. Those three things are your calling card wherever you, you know, uh, if you're listed on LinkedIn, if you add a comment, that's, those are the three things. Now, what can you do about those three things? You can make sure that your headshot is current, that it's well lit, and it's filling that circle as much as possible. I tell my clients to, to fill that headshot uh, circle by 75 to 80% with your face, nothing else, because it gets pretty small. There are three different versions in terms of sizing of that thing, right? And the smallest is pretty tiny. You can see it uh, in any reaction. That's how the smallest that it gets, any reaction to a post, right? So fill that little sucker, that circle with your face, your, your handsome, uh, your beautiful face. And then the, the, the other two are your name. Now, you can't really do much with your name. I do, uh, I do uppercase mine, so I capitalize my entire name for some weird reason everyone mostly everyone uh just capitalizes the first uh the first letter of their first name and, and last name that's that's just that's who said that was a rule right. it's, it's, yeah. if you look if you look on subtitles if you look at uh, next time there are subtitles on tv it's always capitalized can i tag on to what you just said because you just gave me a great idea so you know joshua b lee he's like internet famous for being a, a linkedin uh curator but he puts Joshua, I think, B. Lee. Well, no one calls him Joshua. His name's Josh. If you're reaching out to him because you've engaged with him, you know his name's Josh. He specifically puts Joshua B. Lee to show him when bots, to your point about your infographic, yeah. when bots are reaching out. It never occurred Absolutely. to me until the moment he told me that, which is why mine now says Nicholas Nico in quotations Johnson, which is something I kind of hate because it's really long, but all caps is the same thing. Nobody's ever going to, in their right mind, reach out to you and all caps your name. Hey, all caps, Andy Foot. Right. It's still, exactly. it's, it's a way it's more bold. elegant. Yep. It's a way more elegant way yes. to do this. Ah, oh, right. You've just completely changed my strategy. Thank you. I'm updating my profile now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So it's, it's all about, you know, what I was, you know, uh, the advice I was giving to uh, newbie LinkedIn uh, folks is just observing and, you know, look, look, look at the stuff that's happening that, that the people are doing and ask yourself why. And yeah, the capitalization is it's, it's all about standing out. It's because 99% and I just made that up, but a lot of them, right. Do not, a lot of users do not capitalize. Then when you do it, something different, then you definitely stand out because people say, Oh, is Andy shouting? No, I'm announcing. Like on TV, get it? You're announcing. So, and then the other thing, of course, uh, where you can uh, really go to town creatively is the headline. 
And this is, you know, this is used in so many different ways. I'd love to give my clients something which is, uh, you know, resonant, which is uh, unique, which uh, essentially sums them up not in terms of who they are, but what they do, because it has to do some form of some form of marketing, some form of selling in that very important space. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity? You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with PowerHub. Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with PowerHub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. Hey, have you been looking for a clever way to get on Suncast? Well, here's your chance. We've got a new segment called Suncast Weekly Roundup presented by LG Solar, and it's a part of the all new microconference experience at North America Smart Energy Week 2020. You can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. You can register with our discount code to get 15% off. You can share your takeaways for a chance to win fun prizes and follow along. And as I said, you never know, you might even end up on one of the segments, but you got to participate to win. Hope you'll join us. Mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. See you there. Have you been searching for that perfect role that gets you into clean energy or maybe transitions your career to the next level, might I invite you to check out LightSource BP. That's right, the global company focused on solar energy and low carbon economies backed by one of the largest energy companies in the world. From strategy around the world to action locally you can be inspired and be the change by joining lightsource bp by choosing a career at lightsource bp you will join a team that truly cares about creating a more sustainable future for our world through safe and meaningful low carbon energy projects learn more and find out what career awaits you at lightsourcebp.com forward slash careers since we're on the topic of building an audience your entry into LinkedIn, building a group was for uh, quite a time in, you know, sort of default dead on the platform. Groups by and large were abandoned because you couldn't, uh, you couldn't do some of the functionality that originally made groups really compelling. Can you tell me a little about uh, your, uh, one of your latest blog posts that highlights a potentially game-changing factor of groups? Yeah. So groups are still in the doldrums in terms of functionality there was one one thing. I mean, there were several things, but one thing in particular that made it um, very difficult to to run groups from a, a group management perspective was that group owners have always had the ability to stop content at source. So you could always uh, you had a holding area as the group manager where you could release certain posts and say, "Yep, yeah, that goes in," uh, and the rest of the stuff doesn't. Well, LinkedIn, uh, for some reason, decided that uh, it would be a free-for-all and that uh, whenever something was posted on, in a LinkedIn group, then it went live immediately as soon as it was published. So the owner, the only thing that the owner could do was retroactively delete content once it, once it had already appeared. Now, for a large group, that's a problem because there, you, you're talking about hundreds of uh, you know, retroactive deletions. Um, and and that's changed. Thankfully, LinkedIn, LinkedIn have reverted back to the situation where you have them in a you know a feed which only the owner sees, the group owner sees, and then the owner can decide you know what gets what gets uh, published. So that's a change that you know it was a bad change, and now it's 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 reverted back to the norm. Uh, the other thing that has not reverted back uh, is the the announcement. So, again, from a group owner's perspective, because my uh, my thinking on this, Nico, is that uh, for groups to work properly for everyone, you definitely need to have group owners on board, right? If they're not on board, then they're not going to manage the group, and they're just going to uh, let spam go wild. And that's what you know LinkedIn groups are known for right now is that they're a spam fest. And so, you need to give group owners some kind of incentive to be a good manager, to run a healthy, and we, you know, whatever a healthy group looks like. And one of the, the major incentives of doing that is the ability to uh, send an announcement to 
all group members on a weekly basis. And that was taken away. And it was replaced by something, again, which you know is algorithm regulated, which is recommended by the group owner. Now, recommended by is not the announcement. Recommended by is merely, to put it in perspective, when, when a group owner pins something or pushes something out as recommended by, it'll, it'll, a, a fraction of the group will see it. So it's no comparison to the announcement where the announcement would basically pretty much send it to everyone. It's still not ideal. And then the bigger picture with, with groups is that it's the scrolling thing. It's like LinkedIn has this love of scrolling, and I think we know how why they do it. It's because they need people on the platform, spending as much time on the platform. If if it was efficient, if it was an efficient use of our time where we're in and we're out, then LinkedIn can't serve us ads or you know, so they need it to be sticky, and that's why we've got the, the endless scroll. Everything is a scroll on LinkedIn. Everything is multiple clicks away, and that's what LinkedIn groups suffers from. If I compare it with, for example, Facebook groups, which are a joy to run in comparison. Do you see a particular type of content that is dominating right now in the algorithms that's getting attention? I see a lot of variety. I see a lot of people trying different things. So I see. Infographics, certainly. I see video still. A lot of people are doing video, you know, native and pulling it in from somewhere else. Text is always is always there. So I'm I'm, I'm still seeing a lot of text only. And what what I, what I wish LinkedIn would do more of, Nico, is you know a shared interest, love uh, of of ours, which is podcasting, because. The problem with dropping a link, any kind of link, in fact, but not just a link to your latest podcast, is that how is that how is that going to work? Because you're saying, "Here's my latest podcast episode. Check it out." So go leave the platform. They're going to go. They're going to bounce. Yeah, they're going to bounce immediately. And are they going to come yeah. back? Are they going to come back to that post which was basically announced? Have you tried headliner so that you can embed audio? I get a I get a fair amount of engagement when I do a headliner embed. I have, I have tried that, and I've just started to do that. And I think it's, I think it's good. I think it helps, but I don't think it overcomes the basic issue, which is, will they come back? Right? Will they come back? And that one of the ways to overcome that is by embedding the entire podcast there, right? Where and and LinkedIn can figure this out. I think they do it for their own podcast. They they, I think they drop the whole uh, episode. Right there in LinkedIn, I think it's called Hello Hello Monday, and so they can do it. And I think the functionality is there, but for some reason, there's no love for podcasters because everything else gets to go in there. Right? There's there's no limits. There are no technical limits, at least, to do that. But to answer your question, I don't think there's anything which is is dominating. I think there's. I see a lot of variety. The big question for me is whether LinkedIn Live becomes this universally rolled out thing. And of course, then I do worry about the, the technical side of things. What about tagging people? Whenever you tag someone, you just got to be absolutely uh, confident that they are going to respond. I'm not going to tag you unless I'm really, really confident that you are going to uh, welcome that and you're going to act on it. And you're going to ideally, yeah, you're ideally going to come back and say, thanks for tagging me, Andy. Um, here's what I think on this. And I appreciate it. Blah, blah, blah. Now, if that doesn't happen, uh, then we're talking about negative signaling to the algorithm. So there's positive signaling, right? Which is, yep, you, uh, you, you, you respond. You, you apparently don't mind being tagged. But if someone who does mind, uh, they can detag themselves, number one. Uh, number two, they can, they can unfollow you. Right or disconnect if they're connected with you, they can block. Right, they can delete the post. So there are many negative things that could come about because you tag someone and you know they they weren't into it, they didn't like it, and that's the danger. And so whenever I see people who do the tag clouds, right, or they yeah you know, they just tag lots and lots of like groups and groups and groups of groups of people, I'm thinking you're really just you know you're telling the algorithm or you're giving the algorithm uh, potentially. Lots of negative signaling, uh, if you know, because not all of those people are going to love it. Uh, I just, you know, the the law of numbers <laughs> uh, basically uh, means that you are running the risk of getting, uh, you know, uh, negative reactions. So I generally tag people if they're directly involved in the content. Uh, 
usually it's, hey, thanks to such and such for giving me the heads up on this. And, uh, you know, I want to acknowledge that. So I want to give them credit. Uh, I will never tag, even if I think it's relevant to, to, to certain parties, I won't do that because I'm just... I'm expecting and hoping for organic. And that's even in like Epson the post, even tagging maybe in the first comment, you won't do it. Yeah, we'll do it. I mean, it, like I say, if it's directly relevant, then there'll be the, the folks that will be in the post. I'll shout them out. I'll sh- give them shout outs to the post itself. But I just, to me, it's kind of, it's kind of needy and it's kind of gaming. To me, it's gaming the system. Just, just the way that, just the way that I, I do it. It's not wrong. You know, if you're going to tag two or three people, and again, if you're confident that they're interested, they're into it, then, you know, why not? But there are some folks who do this, and they don't just do that. They also uh, like their own comments. Not only do they like their own comments, they like their own posts. And if they have a company page, they will go into their company page and then start liking their own, their own comments with their own company page. And I'm thinking, dude, because it's normally a dude. I'm thinking, dude, it's like, even if that did work, right, with the algorithm, which it, I'm pretty convinced it doesn't, even if it did, what does that look like? I mean, take a look at yourself. It's like, I go back to the word needy again. Your, your, your content, if it's strong enough, right, if, it, if it's strong enough, it should stand on its own legs and it shouldn't need the crutch that is self-liking, that is multi-tagging. It's strong enough, let it do its thing. Always use an image, never use an image. Depends. I do an image, but I usually do an image. Um, my, my, I'm very fond of doing a, 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 a post, not a post, an article in a post wrapper. So what I mean by that is the first image that I use is generally the first page of my PDF that I've attached as a document. So that's my image. Uh, and, you know, that's the thing that has to be a compelling visual uh, in the feed because we can think about the feed Think about the the formatting and what that looks like. It's got to uh, get the clicks because, you know, in the home feed, it's all about dwell time. The dwell time tweak to the algorithm is, in essence, we as users have been too lazy, have not been giving enough data to the data scientists to let them know what we're interested in. So what they've decided, and I think this is fiendishly clever, what they've decided to do is to track when we slow down over something in the home feed. So, oh, He's slowing down. Oh, how long is he? Let's call it dwelling. How long is he dwelling over that particular post in the home feed? Oh, yes, he's slowed down considerably. And now he's clicked. He's definitely interested. How long is he spending? Nope. How long is he dwelling after the click? Oh, yes, he's definitely interested in that post by Andy Foote. And we will serve him more of it. Let's track when he bounces away from it. Wow, that's... He spent 25 seconds on that. Why did he spend 20? Oh, it's because Andy's added a, a long-ass document post with six six plus uh, pages to the document post. So it's clever, isn't it? Because we not we are not training um, the, the home feed. Uh, evidently, that's not happening. So LinkedIn data scientists come up with the dwell, uh, the dwell time tweak, which um, is good for us as users because if it works... Uh, and I'm I'm hearing that it is working because we're getting served more relevant stuff in our content. It's purely by our you know mouse gestures and our clicks instead of saying hide, delete, you know, delete, hide, blah blah blah. And so that that's that's cool. If they can do more of that, I love it. Um, and I'm also hearing that people are saying, you know, these posts that used to last maybe 48 hours at max, I'm now getting a week. I'm getting a week's engagement. You know, extended like. Why is that? Is that, well, no one really knows, but we can take a guess that it may have something to do with, you know, dwell time. <sighs> Fantastic. Well, along that notion of time is how often one should post per day, per week, and then how often uh, or how many posts one should do in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a specific time period. Is that something that you've got sort of science down to a science? Yeah, so I I don't, but there was a great study by a guy called Richard van der Blom, a great uh, Dutch LinkedIn trainer, a good friend of mine, who last summer, he was clever. He got in touch with his uh, local university marketing department and said, hey, guys and gals, um, here's 
here are 3,000 uh, pieces of content. Go ahead and analyze those for me and then come back to me with your, with your findings. One of the findings they, they came up with, which, and all of the findings were pretty much, I think, uh, made sense to me and a lot of other LinkedIn trainers. We all figured, yeah, we, we thought that was the case. It was kind of you know, confirmation of our biases or our observations. But one of them was to do with the frequency of how often you could post without the algorithm uh, punishing you in some way. And what the study found was that if you left three hours between every post, right, uh, a minimum of three hours every time you posted something on LinkedIn, then the algorithm would kind of treat that as new. So, But if you did it within that window, then uh, apparently there were negative effects on you know the subsequent posts, um, which kind of makes sense, right? Because LinkedIn, I think, would want everyone to have an equal amount of, you can call it reach, uh, airtime, whatever you want to call it, and not to have the heavy users absorb uh, you know all of the attention in the home feed. So a minimum, if you're a heavy poster, then you should be looking to give yourself a, a three-hour break in between whatever it is you're pushing out on LinkedIn. You mentioned uh, sharing content. You choose to create content. I've heard that if you share someone else's LinkedIn post, the algorithm doesn't really care. If you share from an outside source, bringing content onto the platform, that gives you sort of algorithm juice. What can you speak to around sharing content if you're curating? So what I can say is that it used to be a no-no to add a link to the post body. Um, so any kind of link. So particularly to external stuff. And even it seemed like, you know, to internal LinkedIn stuff, just any kind of link was, for some reason, it was verboten. And um, we we all had to assume, we being, you know, LinkedIn observers like myself and trainers, uh, we, we kind of assumed that it was to do with LinkedIn's uh, walled garden, that they just want users to be, you know, on the platform and not 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 giving them an excuse to bounce, which is you know of course what that link that link does. Um, recently, you know, over the last uh, two or three months, um, I have not been finding any issue in terms of distribution when I include a, a an external link, and others have confirmed the same. So it seems like that's no longer an issue, you know, in terms of what the chattering classes are talking about. Uh, so before, when we used to worry about adding a link in the post body, we used to put it in the comments, the first comment first, and then we would wait for whatever, five minutes after until after the post was published, and then we would you know, edit it back in. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't think that's going to be an issue. Now, in terms of resharing somebody, because it's actually a reshare. In, in, in LinkedIn terminology, you're resharing because it's already been shared, right? The original post is a share. And whenever you uh, share it again, it's a reshare. So reshares are kind of strange on LinkedIn. They're still, they still seem not to benefit the, the author who you're sharing. Um, uh, why is this? Well, it might have something to do with the fact that if you share something to your network, Nico, and then I opt to reshare that to mine. There's not so much love as there is, you know, from your network. Uh, there's a lack of love interest in that reshare in my network. It might be because the, well, why is Andy sharing this? Who who is this Nico guy? And it might just have something to do with lack of brand recognition. It might be as simple as that. Uh, so, and the other thing is, we don't know if it's. You know, the, uh, uh, if it's an audience reaction or a lack of audience reaction that makes reshares so uh, crappy in terms of oomph, right? Or maybe it is the algorithm. Maybe the but it shouldn't be the algorithm because you think that in terms of how much effort is expended on doing that, it should be rewarded, right? I mean, it's not just a it's not just someone clicking a, a like. Uh, or a reaction. It's someone taking their time to put together a, a post and then resharing, you know, or resharing, clicking on the reshare. Um, I think for it to make, uh, to get maximum reach, I think if you preface it, if you if you give an introduction to, uh, you know, I'll use your exa my example of, of sharing your stuff. Nico has uh, has recently posted about this. I think it's fascinating for this reason. And you you lay it out and then you give that preface in the post, then you share it. As a you know, as your own share, I think that might have more uh, more chance of of you know getting uh, higher engagement, better engagement. But there is that 
Yeah, there is that weird sort of reshare, uh, lack of love with the reshares. Do emojis matter? Is it just a way to break up the content? Is it, and does it go along with something that looks like a structure of a good post? Yeah, I don't think I don't think it matters one way or the other if you if you use emojis or you don't. I know that a lot of the folks who use them are convinced that it helps with uh, readability. I'm a purist in that sense, so you'll never see me using emojis uh, in any of my posts. In fact, I uh, one post I put out, I think it was a couple of years ago, I said, if anyone ever sees me using an emoji in any of my uh, writing, any of my posts, please report my profile as being hacked. <laughs> because I just will never do it. And I hesitate using the word juvenile. It's just like again, it's if your if your content is strong enough, then it, you don't need any bells and whistles. You don't need anything to stand out. To me, it's like sometimes it's you know I call it symbol puke, right? It's like come on, just just use the words. Words are great. Words are powerful, especially if you're using the right ones. Uh, but then I get you know there's an audience that that loves that kind of stuff i totally get that so in terms of diversity and appealing to to you know knowing your tribe is is key and then if i if i you know if i talk about linkedin if i talk about facebook i use emojis in facebook all the time because they're kind of you know they're the they're the language over there you punctuate every sentence with a an emoji just to to double down on the joke right it's like yeah i meant this in jest I'm not being serious about this. So for some reason, you know, I think they work really, really well there. But on LinkedIn, I think because of its roots as a professional networking site, I hew true, you know, to that kind of approach. I, I tend to just use black, black, white, uh, black text on white background. Uh, good enough. Andy, there are a million questions I could continue to ask. I probably could spend another couple of hours on the phone with you and not exhaust uh, myself. I'd exhaust you, I'm sure. I'd like to bring it home with a few questions tailored towards sort of backing back out to the meta level or meta view, as it were. I see a lot of times on LinkedIn, this notion of a view and people will say, oh, I got 5,000, 10,000 views. What does that actually mean with regard to the, to the platform and the algorithm? I think it's a, a misunderstood stat and it's commonly touted in terms of, wow, I got 50,000 views, you know, uh, how great am I? Or, you know, how great was the content? I mean, great. Yeah, maybe it's an indicator, right? Because you don't normally get 50,000 views without getting a, a decent amount of reactions and, and, and comments. But views, uh, if you think about it, are more like impressions in the marketing sense. So by which I mean that, you know, whenever someone is scrolling past your content, in the home feed, that's registered as a view. So they're not actually, you know, they're not clicks at all. They're not, they're not actually on your content at all. They're just scrolling by it. And if you think about like, if lots of people are doing that, then you can quickly build up so-called views. I do wish that LinkedIn was strong enough, right? Confident enough as a platform to treat us less like babies and essentially give us the real, you know, the real stats, the real honest stat, which is, you know, if I'm getting, you know, 50 clicks on my, you know, on my, on my post, then that's, that's a good indication. You know, it's a better indication than, than 3000 views, which is kind of meaningless, as I said, because they're impressions. So there's that, you know, it's a benchmark like any other, if you're comparing your 50,000 post. There's a couple of things I'd love to see dwell, right? I think as a premium user, I should be able to see that it actually would be something that LinkedIn would make millions of dollars selling their, their premium service because they would translate your dwell time. The second, you and I tend to post long posts. One of the reasons that I do that is because I want to engage. But as with anything, LinkedIn, because they prefer the scroll, never shows you all of the posts, right? So a tweak I'd like to see is expansion. I would just call it your expansions. Instead of impressions, I'd like to see expansions. How many people click that more button to read the rest of my post? Right. Yeah, that would, would be, be amazing. Huge. That would be excellent. Yeah, it would be fantastic. And the one stat that I'm always focused on, and I, I would encourage anyone who's serious about their LinkedIn content journey and, and improving everything along it, uh, would be comments because comments are comments are you know a very clear indication that you have engaged. Um, more so than reactions. Reactions are kind of you know throwaway. They're still nice to get. Um, even, you know, with the, the, the extended raise of what exactly 
they're, they're, they are saying to you on the post, but comments you cannot beat in terms of honest to goodness um, engagement. And not only that, you know, no one, no one um, says, "Hey, Nico, thanks for thanks for uh, you know supporting my post. Thank you, thank you for being inquisitive about my post." No one does that, right? But what they do do is respond to comments. They always and they should. They always, always should dive in and have that ability to you know actually have discourse with the person who's who's taken their precious time to comment. That's where the good stuff's happening. That's actually community and coalescing around around content via comments are the new LinkedIn groups. That's, you know, that's where the good stuff's happening. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I drop a comment and I get X amount of likes and it's like, that's, that's, that's freaking great. All right. People are, you know, people, I'm not even, I'm not even producing comment, uh, pr- producing content. I'm producing c- content via yeah. my comment. That's the two that's things nuts. that I see people failing at and this. I'm, I'm a, I'm a fanatic as well on this. And actually my friend Les, who I mentioned before, he kind of opened my eyes to this and it's so true. He said, just watch the number of people you see who will make a post and they won't respond to the comments folks reach out and say, Oh, this is a great post. And they'll, they won't even go back and say, Hey, thank you for noticing. It's so simple. And actually there's a timing that we've noticed is that if you respond within the first hour and you like their comment and you respond to their comment, um, and we've, we've got data on this now. So if you do that within the first hour and then within the first three hours, as you pointed out, you'll see massive uh, view count increase, massive view count increase because LinkedIn goes, oh, wait, you're here to create community. I see you made this post. It got views. People commented and you thanked them for showing up. Okay, we'll show it to other people and let's see if this happens again. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you know, we've, I think uh, many people have observed that as well. The first 60 minutes of being responsive and diving in and, and having those conversations, uh, you know, almost immediately after clicking publish. And the, 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 the Dutch uh, LinkedIn trainer that I refer to, uh, uh, Richard van der Blom, that was one of the things that his, uh, his study by those marketing students found too, is that there's definitely the golden hour that uh, any kind of engagement, um, which is two way, right, between the author and the fans or the commenters, is uh, is a very strong signal that this content is worthy of further distribution because that's what the algorithm is doing. It's it's relatively dumb in that it needs to keep testing. It needs to keep checking itself, right? It's like, okay, is it still interesting? Let's show it to to ten people. Oh. Seems like it's still interesting. Let's show it to another forty people. Still interesting. Let's and that's that's what it's doing. So as long as that you know there's that constant uh, validation uh, that uh, it is engage worthy, then you have a good chance of reaching uh, a decent amount of uh, people on on LinkedIn. But the posts that go viral, you may have noticed this too, are the posts that LinkedIn has basically plucked. Uh, LinkedIn editors have basically plucked out of the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of posts that are uh, that are on the platform every day, and uh, these are the worthy ones in terms of the LinkedIn editor's eyes, and they're invariably a a a story about someone doing well or doing well uh, by others. And it's usually uh, couched in career terms, right? So it's it's always a professional subject. I saw one the other day, took a screenshot, and it was how uh, someone was talking. I think it was about entrepreneurialism that they, you know, it was a sob story. It was a sad thing that, that they started out with, but they did something. They just did something well or consistently, and then there was this massive uh, payoff, massive reward. That's not always the structure, and then it got um, you know thousands upon thousands of reactions. And thousands of comments, and that's you know that's the so-called um, hyper-popular post. First of all, if folks wanted to reach out to you, obviously there's LinkedIn. Is there any other resource in particular that you would point folks to that would help the Suncast tribe uh, be better, do better, show up better? Yeah, so I would um, definitely seek me out on LinkedIn and uh, use the mat. Yeah, if you if you wish to connect with me, just use the code word Nico. The other place that you can definitely find me is Linked Insights, not LinkedIn Insights. 
my website. And then, yeah, sure, um, you know, if you're into podcasts, then please do check out my own uh, Footnotes podcast, foot dash, foot with an E dash notes podcast. Yeah. Andy Foot is the creator, curator, chief uh, architect, content officer at linkedinsights.com. And also, as he just mentioned, and I, we've brought up a couple of times on this episode, the new and extraordinarily well done uh, podcast, Footnotes with an E, Footnotes. I encourage you all to check it out. And I thank one more time with a hat tip and a, a kind nod, uh, my new friend Andy Foot, for the time that you've spent with us today, Andy. Such a joy. Thanks, Nico. Likewise. All right, Solar Warriors. Well, that was a fun foray into the world of LinkedIn, a place that you and I perhaps have met. Maybe we've shared a post together. Maybe we've exchanged comments and a like or a round of applause. Maybe you've answered one of our polls. However you've engaged, I appreciate you. And I appreciate that you've made it through the end of this episode. And Andy Foote, if you're listening to this, I appreciate you too, my friend. I learned so much from you and I look forward to all the different ways that I get to observe and learn from you, not only through LinkedIn, but in the real world and on your Footnotes podcast. Thank you, sir. Well, I hope that you'll check out our other Two for Tuesday if you didn't already. And that is our weekly roundup from last week's Solar Power International Conference. We do an live version of that this coming Friday at 4.30 p.m. to round out the seven weeks of microconferences. I hope you'll join us there. You can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. And of course, this Thursday, as always, we'll have a long form interview. And this one is a doozy with Arch Rao of Span.io. Arch and I go down the rabbit hole of how he raised his latest round of funding just before the pandemic and how have they grown since that wonderful occasion? Well, speaking of wonderful occasions, it's been a joy to have you here. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I'd so appreciate that you would share the love that you have for this show with others through a rating and a review. A special thanks once again to our sponsors who helped make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there to get any of the offers that you've heard discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It is half the battle. <laughs>